Good morning. So we are wrapping up our Advent series today, which means what? Christmas is coming! <laughs> this week, finally! If you haven't been around for much of this series, it's been really, really long. We have been doing seven weeks of Advent this year because that's actually... Um, Oh man, this is why girls don't preach. <laughs> Gets stuck in my hair. Also, can you hear my jingle bells if I do this? Okay, are we good? Is that gonna stay? We'll just see. No, it's not good. <laughs> just hold my Britney mic like a microphone. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. I think I got it, cool. Good, can you hear me now? Finally, okay. So if you have not been around for this Advent series, it's been seven weeks long because historically that is how Jesus' followers celebrated Advent. This is a long tradition that goes way back and we've kind of shortened it and modernized it and made it a countdown to Christmas, but that wasn't the case originally. So if you are just in town visiting family this morning and you walked in and you went down the hallway and you saw all the beautiful artwork, you probably thought, well, Merry Christmas to you, too, because this has been a series that's a little bit depressing. Um, we're talking about the powers of this dark world. And so Advent has always taken place in the wintertime, and it wasn't tied super closely to Christmas, even though they're around the same time. It really wasn't about waiting for Christmas to come and celebrating Jesus' first coming. It took place when the days were really short and the nights were really long and really dark. And it was about looking around at the darkness in the world. So not just the darkness of the sky, but the darkness everywhere in the world. And about recognizing that we are longing and waiting, but it's not for Jesus to come the first time. It's really for his second coming. So we're longing and we're waiting for God to send Jesus back and to destroy all the powers of this dark world and to set the world right and make all things new and make it just like it was in the beginning. And this is our hope at Christmas and throughout the year as followers of Jesus is that Someday God will come back and he will destroy all these dark powers and um, we'll get to live with him in a perfect place forever. So this is our hope and it's what we're celebrating um, when we celebrate Christmas. We look back and see Jesus came once and God was faithful in fulfilling the promise to send him and so we look ahead and we wait and we anticipate for Jesus to come again. So that's the future we're headed towards. It's full of so much hope. We can't wait for that day. And then we look around us and the world is still dark. And our waiting and our longing now and in this Advent season, we just remember there's darkness all around us. We've talked about a handful of dark powers in this series. We're basing the series on Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about our struggle being not against flesh and blood, not against other people, but against these powers of the dark world. So we've identified a few powers that we struggle against today, and we've acknowledged that there's sometimes things we can do to fight against these powers actively, and then so much of it is just waiting and longing for God to come and destroy the powers for good. So we've talked about a few different powers, but we haven't talked a ton about the human element of darkness, the darkness that we as people introduce into the world, the ways that we as people hurt one another. But if we look around, we see 
on a global scale, people hurt one another. There's ongoing war against different nations and people groups. That's darkness. There are ridiculous levels of poverty around the world. There's systemic injustice and corruption and oppression. The systems of our world are weighted so that some people have a much better chance at success and a good life than others. There are complex structures in place that keep people around the world from flourishing. That's darkness. And there are giant networks of worldwide crime. We think about drug trafficking. We think about human trafficking. Modern-day slavery, where humans are the victims of merciless captors. There's so much darkness, and it's easy to see these things as out there and to feel really overwhelmed and, and yet helpless. Like we know these things are happening, and it disturbs us to our core, but we don't actually know what we can do about it. But human against human darkness isn't just out there. It doesn't stop at the global scale. If we bring down the scale further, we see there are individual crimes of darkness. There's murder and rape and violence and hate. These things fill the news headlines day after day. We see this darkness all around us. I think if we decrease the scale even more, if we get really, really small, then we see at the smallest level, this isn't just an external out there problem, but an internal one as well. We contribute to the violence and hate of this world, whether we realize it or not. I think there's a thing in us that makes us all struggle with darkness. There's a piece of this that we all carry with us, and the good news is that means there's actually something we can do to help alleviate that darkness in the world, starting with ourselves. And I think it's like a seed. So as sinful humans, we all swallow this seed at some point, and it starts out as seemingly insignificant, but we see it grow into a tree in our lives or the lives of others, and, and we really see it when we see it grow into a forest impacting those things on the global scale where whole nations and people groups are wrapped up in this form of darkness. So then we see the damaging effects of this dark power, but it starts as that little seed the seed that causes other humans to do these terrible things against one another is a seed that's found in all of us as well. And this seed is the seed of bitterness. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I really like this translation. This is the New Living Translation of this passage. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. No poisonous root of bitterness. Bitterness is like a cancer of selfishness and anger and hatred that's at the core of all human conflict. It starts out small, but it grows. It takes root and it sprouts and it grows like a weed. And if you aren't careful, it doesn't just stay inside. It starts bursting through your surface and comes out in your attitudes and your actions. If left unattended over a long period of time, it, it's damaging to you and to those around you. I love that this passage says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. 
Bitterness starts with you, but it doesn't stay with you. It causes trouble in your own life, but eventually its effects are felt by those around you as well. Bitterness is the evidence of the darkness that's not just in our world, but in our own hearts and lives. I want to ask a question, and I want us to think about this for a minute. Why are we bitter? What causes our bitterness? At some point, we're not bitter, so what changes? What happens that makes us swallow this seed to begin with? I want to offer two suggestions for why I think we become bitter, but first I want to give a disclaimer that I don't think we're necessarily bitter towards everything or everyone. I think there are specific people or situations that bring this out in us. Something specific happens and we swallow a seed of bitterness. So you probably wouldn't look at the person next to you and think, oh, you're obviously so bitter. Unless you're sitting next to this guy. Where is he? Oh, he's gone. <laughs> it was the Grinch. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so look at the person next to you. If they are not green, look fairly normal, you probably wouldn't think, oh, you are so bitter. Because bitterness doesn't start out as this big tree. It starts out really, really small and subtle. Some people come across as being angry and bitter just towards the world in general, and I think that's built up over a long period of time. So my disclaimer is I'm not saying that we're all there. I think probably not very many of us are, but I'm wanting to, to stop us before we get to that point. I'm wanting to, to have some self-awareness today of the seeds that we've swallowed so that they don't turn into these big trees in our lives that damage us and those around us. So back to our question, why do we become bitter in the first place? I'll suggest two reasons for why I think we become bitter, and I know there are plenty more, but I think these two are circumstances we find ourselves in that almost always tempt us to swallow a seed of bitterness. So the first one is this, we become bitter when we feel like we've been wronged. When somebody hurts us, it's easy to become bitter. It's easy to want revenge, to want to hurt them back, for our hearts to close up and harden. We trusted them and they betrayed us. No more love for them. We wanna make them pay. Do you know this feeling? You hurt me, you wronged me, and now you're cut off. You get no more of me. I reject you, I distance myself from you, and you can't hurt me anymore. You did the worst to me, and now I want the worst for you. We become bitter when we feel like we've been wronged. Second reason I'll suggest is this. We become bitter when our expectations are not met. And there's some overlap here. Usually when people don't meet our expectations, they're also um, wronging us, or maybe vice versa. When people hurt us, they're not meeting our expectations. Um, but this one doesn't have to be about a specific person. It can be about a situation. So we become bitter when something doesn't go our way, when we feel like we deserve one thing and we get another. We feel entitled to something and we don't get it. We want something really, really badly and it just doesn't happen for us. How about this? We pray for something and God is silent. He doesn't provide in the way we think he should. His timeline doesn't match up with ours. We beg him for a yes and he says no. Isn't it so easy when things don't go our way, our expectations are not met to become bitter? 
We can become bitter at God. When, when life isn't turning out the way we planned or we aren't getting what we want in our timeline, it's easy to point the finger at God and swallow a seed of bitterness. When there's no one else to blame and it's not anyone's fault. The, the temptation is to see it as God's fault. He's the one in control. He's the one who has the power to do something, to meet our expectations, and oftentimes he doesn't. So when somebody hurts us or when we experience an unmet expectation, it's really easy to swallow a seed of bitterness. We close up, we harden up, we go into self-protection mode, and we become bitter. We've all been there at one point or another. We've all swallowed a seed of bitterness, and I think we've honestly probably swallowed hundreds of seeds of bitterness over time. And we've said if we're not careful, if left unattended, if ignored, these seeds can grow and burst out and have damaging effects. So the good news today is we can be careful. We can attend to our bitterness. We don't have to ignore it. Take some self-awareness to identify the seeds that we've swallowed, but if you can pinpoint a specific person or situation that you've become bitter towards, I think there are a couple really practical things that we can do to get rid of our bitterness. So I want to offer two suggestions for how I think we can begin to get rid of these seeds of bitterness that we've swallowed. And my first suggestion is this, forgiveness. We get rid of bitterness through forgiveness. We find that when we are bitter because we've been wronged, the key to getting rid of that bitterness is through forgiveness. And Jesus teaches on forgiveness in a really helpful way. In Matthew chapter 18, We read about it, and I'm going to read this to you in the message version. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they're asking him questions, and he's answering them. And then Matthew writes this. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven, which just meant a lot or an infinite number. And then Jesus tells this story. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me the chance, and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Sound familiar? But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who has asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Well, that's a powerful story there, Jesus. This guy who owes $100,000, is forgiven by the king, and then he throws this other guy in jail for forgetting to Venmo him back 10 bucks. It's, It's crazy. The king finds out and says, I don't think so. That's how you act after I've shown you mercy? You aren't merciful yourself? 
well, fine. If that's how you want the system to work, then that's what we'll do. You'll go into jail until you pay your entire debt. The kicker is that Jesus doesn't leave this story as an abstract parable, but he really clearly says, this is what my Father in heaven will do to you if you don't forgive. We're the first servant in this story. As followers of Jesus, we've all been forgiven so much. God has been so gracious to us, so merciful. We've each had a debt that there's no way we could pay. We're sinful people. We can never do enough to earn God's grace or forgiveness. But he showed us mercy, and he canceled our debt completely. We love this part of the story. We love this part of the gospel. But we can't ignore the rest. What God asks of us is for us to now go and forgive others. And if we don't, then he won't forgive us. Maybe nobody told you that part. This is what we sign up for as followers of Jesus. We get to pick, is it all justice? Are we all just thrown into jail together because none of us can pay our debt? Or is it all grace, all mercy, all forgiveness? We can't accept God's forgiveness for our sin and then not forgive the sin of others. It's all or nothing. Paul sums it up this way just before he talks about the powers of this dark world. In Ephesians 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Get rid of all bitterness. Instead, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgive, just as God has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. Now, I know some of you may have pushback. The idea of forgiveness sounds really nice, but there are lots of reasons why we don't forgive. Maybe you've swallowed a seed of bitterness towards someone, but you don't want to forgive them because they haven't asked for it, or they haven't changed, or you don't think they deserve it. To you, I'd say, look back at Paul's teaching. We don't forgive others because they deserve it, or because they've shown true change and repentance, or even because they've asked for it. We, for we forgive because God forgave us. That's the reason for our forgiveness. And when we forgive, it's not just for them, it's for us too. When we forgive, we get rid of the bitterness inside of us. That's a huge benefit of forgiveness. Basically, your choice to forgive can be entirely selfish. You want God's forgiveness for you, and you want to get rid of your bitterness, and so you forgive. Forgiveness is all around the best choice for you. It doesn't actually matter that much what the other person does or doesn't do or asks for or doesn't ask for. We still forgive. Maybe you've struggled with forgiving someone because you just don't know where to go from there. They did hurt you, and you don't want to let them in again. You do want to distance yourself so that they can't hurt you anymore. And I actually think that's okay. Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean letting them in in the same way again. You can choose to let go of your bitterness, to not seek revenge, to not wish the worst for them, and to not have a relationship with them anymore or to set some serious boundaries and see the relationship change significantly, or to go through a process where they'll need to rebuild your trust. Every situation is different, so the way forward after forgiving someone will be different every time. Jesus didn't say in his story, forgive this man's debt and then loan him 10 more dollars. You don't necessarily need to put yourself back in that same situation that you were in before. The relationship might change or even end, but you still need to forgive.
And you may have to forgive the same person over and over for the same thing. Sometimes we forgive once and we get rid of that one seed of bitterness we've swallowed, but then just the memory of the incident later on causes us to swallow another seed and we have to forgive again. It's a process. I wish I could say we just forgive one time and then it's done, but typically it takes forgiving over and over when someone's really, really hurt you. The deeper the wound is, the more times it will take to forgive. Forgiving, resolving conflicts, setting boundaries, communicating. If, if these things are overwhelming to you, they're a challenge, they do not come naturally to you. First, I just want to say you're not alone. So many of us struggle with these things. But there's hope. These are skills. We can build these skills. We can gain tools to help us with these things. And then we hone these skills over a lifetime of practice if you know this is a weak area for you in general, you're just not wired this way. You're so avoidant of any kind of conflict. Or if you have a specific situation that you're dealing with and you just aren't sure how to forgive someone or how to move forward in the relationship after forgiving, come talk to one of us pastors. We would love to get together with you and have coffee and just hear where you're coming from and maybe brainstorm with you or offer some suggestions, but probably mostly just listen. We don't have all the answers, but we care a lot about these things. We care about pursuing healthy relationships, and we care about you and your heart and getting rid of your bitterness. So we'd love to be there for you. Please reach out to us if this is you. And in fact, we care so much about this in New Denver that we actually preached a whole sermon series on this earlier this year. So you can go online and you can search for When People Collide and there will be four sermons that come up that Norton preached in May. So you can listen to those too. They're full of practical help for resolving conflict and dealing with difficult people in your life. Whatever it takes, gain the tools that you need to become really, really good at forgiving. As followers of Jesus, we're called to become experts at forgiveness because the truth is people are going to wrong us. They're going to hurt us. We're going to be given every reason to swallow seeds of bitterness, and maybe sometimes we'll be able to catch it before we swallow and reject it and say, no, I'm not going to become bitter. But I think more often than not, we take the bait. We, we cave to that temptation. We swallow these seeds but instead of letting them fester and grow and burst out and become really, really ugly and damaging to ourselves and others, we have to become really, really good at forgiveness. So that's the first way to get rid of bitterness, is through forgiveness. But what about when we have unmet expectations? What about when we're bitter at a situation, not a person? Or what about when we're bitter towards God? God never actually does anything wrong. He's perfect. We never need to forgive him for anything. But we're still bitter, so what's the solution? I think the second way to get rid of bitterness is this. We get rid of bitterness through humility, by realigning our view of ourselves, by adjusting to reality, maybe taking ourselves down a notch or two in our minds, stepping off our pedestal. The truth is, some of the seeds that we swallow are caused by pride, so the way to deal with those seeds is through humility. It's pride that makes us feel entitled to certain things, and then when our expectations are not met, we're disappointed. And it's really not anyone's fault. We can blame God, but he didn't do anything wrong. So we either choose to swallow the seeds of bitterness when things don't go our way, or we choose to get an attitude adjustment. If we realize that we actually aren't owed anything, we aren't entitled to anything, 
We don't deserve anything. What we deserve is to be put in prison for our debt, but everything we're given is grace. So the way to get rid of these seeds of bitterness is coming back to grips with reality and regaining a little bit of humility. And I know this is easier said than done. We're going to feel so justified in our desires. The things we want so desperately are usually good things. What have you been begging God for lately? A spouse? A baby? For you or a loved one to be declared cancer-free? For a new job? For wisdom or clarity on a decision you have to make? For him to take away your anxiety or depression? Maybe you're just asking him that he would have a good Christmas. The things we beg God for are usually good things, reasonable things, things other people have. It seems like we aren't asking for that much. God could provide if he wanted. He could heal. He could speak. So when he doesn't, we get bitter. And we feel so justified in our bitterness. But bitterness is not what's best for us. It's a power of this dark world that damages us and eventually those around us as well. So we've got to get rid of it. A friend, one of you, said to me this week, and she didn't know I was preaching on this, but she said, I find that when I let go of my expectations, then I see that Jesus is right in front of me. Isn't it so easy to feel alone in our bitterness? To feel abandoned by God? That he's not there and that he doesn't care? When we release our expectations and we regain a little humility that we're not actually entitled to any of our deepest desires, no matter how good or reasonable they are, then our bitterness goes away. It no longer has power over us. Our eyes are cleared up to see that maybe God is actually standing right there. He's still with us. He has not forgotten us. He loves us. He has good plans for us. These truths are so hard to hear or to believe when we're wrapped up in or clinging to our bitterness. I want to end with two questions. Today's all about groups of two. We had two reasons for why we're bitter, feeling wronged and having unmet expectations. We have two ways to get rid of bitterness, forgiveness, and regaining humility. And now we have two questions to leave you with as we move forward this week and into Christmas. And the first one is this, who do you need to forgive? If there's someone who came to mind as we talked about forgiveness, then the first question's for you. And sometimes forgiveness requires us actually telling the person, I forgive you. So maybe for you, there's a conversation you need to have or a phone call you need to make today. If there's someone that you're spending Christmas with and in your heart you're really dreading seeing them, you've got some bitterness in there, maybe this one is for you. So oftentimes it's a face-to-face or at least on the phone conversation that needs to happen. But I will say some other times we forgive in our hearts. If the person you're thinking of doesn't know that they've wronged you or that you're bitter towards them or maybe you've already forgiven them to their face but it's just the, the new waves of bitterness coming as you remember what they did, then, then forgiving them in their hearts I think is okay. You can take a minute to pray and tell God that you're forgiving them. And you may need to ask God for his help to forgive. Sometimes we can't get rid of seeds of bitterness on our own. If bitterness is like a cancer, sometimes we need a surgeon to operate on us and remove those tumors. We can maybe handle 
pulling out a splinter, but the bigger this thing is, the deeper it's gone, the more you're going to need God to help you forgive. It's not just going to be done with mustering up enough strength or willpower. You're going to need to ask God for a genuine heart change for his help in forgiving the people who have really, really hurt you. And here's one more tip for forgiveness. Asking God to forgive us regularly when we mess up really helps. Having his grace and mercy fresh in our minds and hearts is so helpful. And asking other people for forgiveness when we mess up helps too. It's so much easier to forgive others when we really grasp how much we've been forgiven ourselves. So who do you need to forgive? The second question I want you to think about is this. What situation do you need to release to God? Maybe for you there wasn't a person that came to mind that you need to forgive, but there was a situation or a desire or an unmet expectation that crept up in your heart. There's something you've been waiting and longing for and you just haven't seen God come through yet. You don't want to be bitter. You want your heart to be soft even in the waiting and longing. So today I encourage and challenge you to release the situation and desire back to God. You've been holding it with clenched fists and I encourage you to open your hands. You'll still be holding it. The desire will still be there. But this posture of openness communicates, God, I trust you. Even in the midst of this, even though I want this so badly, you see my heart. You know that desire is there. But whether you give this to me or not, I'm still going to love you and follow you and believe the truths that you see me and are with me. This posture says, help me see what you're up to right now. It acknowledges our eyes are clouded by our disappointment and our bitterness. And this posture says, help me to see you standing right in front of me. So open your hands. I also encourage you to reach out and talk to someone. Again, talk to one of us pastors. We probably can't change or fix anything in your situation, but we'd love to hear about it and be there for you. Walk alongside you and Maybe even pray and remind you that you're not alone, even though you feel it. And as we pray and we ask God to help us get rid of our bitterness, to help us forgive and to help us release our expectations back to him, we also pray and long and wait for Jesus to come back. We know that we won't totally be rid of our bitterness until he does, until that day when all the powers of this dark world are destroyed when all that's wrong in the world is made right, one day we will harbor no more bitterness. We won't even have any cause for bitterness anymore. No more temptation to swallow the seeds. That is a glorious thought. That is where we set our hope. So in Advent, we remember that we wait and we long, but not as people without hope. We wait knowing that God's ultimate victory over all the powers of this dark world will come and one day he will redeem even the darkness in our own hearts and lives. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you are here with us. At Christmas, we remember that you entered your creation. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us so that we would always have you as near as you could possibly be. But sometimes things happen that make us feel bitter and alone. Help us release these things to you. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes to see you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.